Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Our precious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the healing and the restoration that only you can provide. We thank you, Lord, for your deep love for us that that stirs our hearts, that prods and urges us back into your loving arms. Father, we pray for the word today that you will open our hearts to receive it from you. We thank you that you are here with us today and you're so keenly aware of all of our needs, of our situations in each circumstance, Lord. Speak to us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning I want you to think back for a little bit about your conversion. Assuming you have one, I want you to think back to that moment when you first gave your heart to Christ, when you turned over everything to Him, when you accepted Him as your personal Savior. Oh, the situation around you may have been bleak and dark. But at that moment, in an instant, you felt an overcoming peace. Do you remember that peace? A joy unlike any you'd ever known before filled your heart. Do you remember that joy? Do you remember the passion and the excitement that you had at the start? You wanted to tell the whole world about Jesus. And you wanted to start right there and then. You know, there's nothing as exciting as watching someone get saved. Seeing their joy, seeing their excitement, seeing their anticipation at their spiritual growth and their walk with God. We see the potential And we get so excited about it. We know that God is going to use them in a big way. There's an interesting phenomenon that takes place in the sports world every year. It's called the NFL Draft. It happens every spring amid so much media hype and and excitement and analysis and debate. See, it's two full days of professional football teams taking turns Picking, drafting collegiate athletes to play for them. It's 48 of the most boring hours imaginable. (laughs) But every year, like millions all over the globe, I find myself glued to the television set. Anticipating, predicting each selection. Listening to the analysis and the debate. And it's so amazing to watch each team's fans just get so excited. Their, Their hopes rise and fall with each selection that's made. And listening to it, you you hear the cheers that come across from the fans when a pick is made as as a team places all its future on some 21-year-old kid who, who really hasn't proven anything on the professional stage. And you think about it and what's the big deal? Why all the hype? Why all the the hope and enthusiasm and the excitement? One simple word, potential. See, that 21-year-old, soon-to-be multi-millionaire, has the potential to really become an incredible professional athlete. Maybe a Hall of Famer, maybe a star, a legend. And, and it's funny because you look into the eyes of that newly selected young football player and you see the enthusiasm, you see the hope, you see the spark as they hold up their new team's jersey. They can't wait to put in 110%. They can't wait to play hard, to study hard, to learn, to put in their all 
to give everything they have to the organization that drafted them. And hopefully, to help establish a champion, a dynasty. And that's the excitement, the potential. But you revisit this individual some years into his too often short-lived career. And, and what do we find? Well, as is most often the case, the spark is gone. They never really lived up to their potential. The championships were never accomplished. The records were never broken. Oh, it might be a number of reasons. Injuries, perhaps, or poor training, a lack of training, conditioning, a lack of preparation, perhaps a lack of desire. As is most often the case for these individuals, it's a lack of focus. See, there's so many influences and voices and pursuits around them that it's hard for them to focus on getting better. It's hard for them to focus on their craft. And that's why so many great athletes never become great professional champions. It takes a lot more than raw skill and raw talent. And it's sad to think back where they started that day they got drafted and to see where they are now. Sadly, the enthusiasm is gone and all that potential at the start that's gone unrealized. It's sad. And that's the way Paul must have felt about the Galatian church. Here was a young church that started out on fire for Christ. I can imagine, I can imagine the kind of contagious faith they had at the beginning. I can imagine the kind of enthusiasm that spread through what's now modern-day Turkey. I can imagine the many life-changing conversions which took place there, followed by a desire to just spread the gospel to everyone in that land. Tell them the message of Christ's saving grace. I think that when Paul thought of them, you can, you can picture the smile that came over his face. Ah, the Galatian church. I can imagine the joy and the excitement he had when he thought of them. When he thought of that young church on fire for Christ and all the potential that they had. But something very strange happens. And I want us to turn to our text today. It's in Galatians. Chapter 5 and verse 7. Simply one verse we're going to look at. See, Paul's letter to the Galatian church, it's filled with questions to them. But none of them is, are, are as poignant as, as this one in Galatians 5.7. Let's take a look at it. Verse 7. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? Here's my translation. You were doing so well. You had so much potential for Christ. What went wrong? How does a passion and a focus for Christ turn into apathy and neglect? How does that kind of obedience to God's truth turn into defining and following our own path, our own way? How does a firm belief on the pure Word of God 
turn into an irresponsible acceptance of an alternative gospel. What went wrong? He said, what got in the way of your obedience? Are you in a place today in your spiritual life where that question applies? Do you look back and remember the excitement of your salvation and the potential of your walk and your growth with the Lord? But sadly today you find only dryness and indifference. Is your relationship with God broken? You have a spiritual sickness, a spiritual illness. It's not a term we think about or hear very often, a spiritual illness. See, we're very familiar with a physical illness or even a mental or emotional illness. But how about a spiritual illness? It's very real and it's very serious. But the good news is that it's very curable. Perhaps you're in need today of spiritual healing. Like the song we heard, a cry out to God, heal me. Perhaps you're there today and you don't even know it. Not know it. How can you not know when you need healing? Look, it's very easy to tell when we need physical healing, right? Something hurts. Something's broken. Something pains us. Something in our bodies isn't functioning right. And you know it. You know you need physical healing. Usually we can also easily tell when we need emotional healing. It's evident from our fears and our tears and our broken relationships. But what about spiritual healing? We spend so much time catering to our physical and emotional needs, but so little to our spiritual needs. Well, today we're going to look at this very topic. Spiritual sickness. Its symptoms its causes, and its cure. If you're like me, you figure, why do you need a doctor when you've got a good internet connection? You know, there's so much out there that's already been published and documented. You can pretty much just figure out the symptoms you have. Go do a little research. Figure out what it is you've got and and how to remedy it. So I've been, I've been suffering from a, from a bad tennis shoulder for the last year and a half. And being the self-diagnoser I am, I've you know, done the research. Here's, here's what I'm feeling. Let's take a look at what I've got. And over the course of the last year, I've pretty much determined I've got everything from a separated shoulder to a torn rotator cuff to bursitis. So I figured out that I, I should go see a doctor. So I went to the doctor and he said, you know, well, does it hurt when you do this? Does it hurt when you do that? Does it hurt in the morning? Does it hurt after you exercise? What are the symptoms? And after I told him everything, I said, so doctor, what do you think? And he said, well, my guess is, I didn't hear too much after my guess is. In my mind, I thought, wait, wait a minute, your guess? You're, you're the professional here. If you're going to do the guessing, I, I want to be the one doing the guessing. I've got the same kind of information you have access to. So much of it is guessing for them. But the good news is that in our spiritual lives, no guessing is involved. 
because God is our master physician and he's laid out for us such clear and direct instructions for spiritual wholeness and healing. So let's begin today. We're going to look at the symptoms, the causes and the cure. Where does it begin? Every doctor's visit begins exactly that way that I described with a patient's description of the symptoms. We tell the doctor what's abnormal, what's unusual, what pains us, what feels different, what feels wrong. Well, symptoms of spiritual sickness are no different. Something's wrong. Our spiritual lives don't measure up to what the Bible says is healthy. So I want to take a look today at some of those questions, just like the doctor asks. Some of the symptoms, the typical symptoms of spiritual sickness. And with each one of these questions about an unhealthy spiritual state, I want you to introspect your heart and your lives and really think about each one of these. Let's start. Prayer life. Is prayer a core part of your daily life? Do you dedicate time to communicate with God? You offer Him all your praise and bring to Him all your needs, your fears, and your concerns. Does prayer bring you strength for daily living? Do you take to God every large and every small care in prayer and petition? Or is your prayer life really just an afterthought? Is it just really a request channel to God when you're really in trouble? Or you really need something? Is that all it is? Last ditch desperation effort. How about hungering for righteousness? Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Ask yourself today, what do you hunger and thirst for? What fills your dreams, your aspirations, which then translate into your time and your efforts and your pursuits? Do you live a righteous life which seeks to honor and glorify God in every aspect? Hungering and thirsting. Do you spend time diving into His Word? Do you apply His principles that you learn? You know, we have such an amazing opportunity here in this assembly. God's Word is so purely taught and explained and offered. Do you take advantage of that every chance you can get? Do you long for it? You know, it was so encouraging at the Revelation Seminar yesterday. It was wonderful to see so many new faces, but it was even more encouraging to see those people that come year after year. And they're taking notes, hungering for God's Word, hungering to learn more. They've heard it before. Maybe nothing new. I want to hear it again. I want to learn more. Revelation Seminary, yeah, I went to that. I think I attended that five years ago. I've heard it. No need to go again. Someone offers you a drink of water. Do you say, oh, no, thanks. Water, I had some five years ago. (laughs) I'm good, thanks. Thanks. How about fellowship? David says in Psalm 122.1, I was so glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Another translation says, I rejoiced 
when they said unto me, let's go to the house of God. I rejoice. Can you echo those words with David? Do you look forward and yearn for Christian fellowship, for making the meetings? Do you get excited about coming to church? How about your spiritual immune system? How strong are you when fears strike you? How strong is your faith when trouble comes? When discomfort comes? When trials come? How strong are you when temptation comes? How about persecution? Do you stand fast and hold to your faith? Or are you tossed about and blown about with every changing tide, every opinion, everything someone says to you? How solid is your faith in God? Are you resting in Him and trusting Him? Or are you trying so hard to work off your own strength, to come up with your own answers, to come up with your own victories? And do these things. Does your faith in God and your hunger for righteousness, do they drive your everyday decision-making? What drives your actions? Do you readily seek counsel from those God has appointed over you, from our shepherds, our mentors? And after having received clear direction from God's Word and from those people He's placed in our lives, do you follow through? Do you obey? Does what you know in your head translate to what you do every day? Does what you hear in the walls of this church Translate into the actions you take and the decisions you make in your life. You know, many times we see the symptoms of our spiritual illness. They're evident to us. They're obvious to us. When we go for a doctor's visit, we tell the doctor, here's what I'm seeing, here's what I'm feeling. But, but just as often, there may be an internal problem which we need the doctor to run some tests to help diagnose. We need those tests to reveal to us something which we can't see. We can self-diagnose all we want, but until those blood tests or MRIs or x-rays have been performed, we really don't know. The same applies in our spiritual lives. There's many times we can be so spiritually sick, but, but not really see it. We can be in a rut but we're so out of focus and out of tune and out of touch with God that we don't even see where we're at. Our focus isn't even there. That's why God's Word and the light of what He reveals to us is so important. That's why mentoring is so important. Those individuals God has placed in our lives are for accountability and guidance. They can help us see what we don't. And they're gently telling us when something's wrong. At a point, David was in a place of, of spiritual sickness. He was guilty of committing murder and adultery in one fell swoop. And at the bottom, he was so out of touch and out of tune with God and with his own spiritual condition. But what does God do? God lovingly sends the prophet Nathan to him to help him see where he was at and to lead David to repentance spiritual healing, and eventually to restoration. So in our own lives, whether we see the symptoms 
or we need the help of counselors and mentors and God's word. We should be so keenly aware of our spiritual condition, the state we're in, and the symptoms. And what's the first thing we need to determine after identifying those symptoms? What caused this? How did this happen? I need to know because I need to stop the bleeding. I need to know because I don't want this to happen again. What are the causes? And when we're talking about the spiritual realm and our spiritual condition, the answer is always the same thing. Sin. It may not be blatant. It may not be an immediate effect. But it's always unmistakable. It's the only thing that gets way in the way of our relationship with God. In the case of the Galatian church in the text we read, they started out so much on fire. What went wrong? For them, it was the sin of legalism. See, the Galatian believers, they altered the purity and the truth of, of the gospel. And they began to infuse and inject man-made rules and laws and principles and conditions. Their focus shifted off of Christ and His salvation and onto the enforcement of their own self-made rules. In their case, it was the influence of outside voices that caused this, that turned their faith. So sad and tragic. You were running well. What took you away? What got in the way of your faith? What stumbled your walk? Turn back, if you're still there, a couple chapters to Galatians 1, verses 6 and 7. This is again Paul speaking to that same backslidden Galatian church. And he says in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which really is no gospel at all. See, sadly, the Galatians turned to and championed a different gospel. Their lives were represented by a gospel of their own definition, of their own choosing. Their legacy was ultimately defined. When we think about the Galatian church today, we don't really think about the amazing start they had. We think about Paul's letter here. Their legacy was defined by a gospel of their own making. So I want you to ask yourself today, what's the gospel of my life? When people look at my life, what do they see? What am I representing? Does my life represent Christ and His life-changing salvation? Or am I championing something else, something else that I've defined? What's the gospel of your life? What's the gospel of Gilbert? What's the gospel of Sharon? When they think of me, what, what's the gospel of Sandy? What do they think? What do people see in my life? Am I a reflection of Christ? Does my life adequately reflect our Savior and everything He's done for us and what He can do for someone who genuinely wants to change? Or is yours the gospel of, of your own pursuits? 
of your own standards? Is it the gospel of, of get all you can while you can? Is it the gospel of get your own way at any cost? Is it the gospel of if it feels good, do it? Is yours the gospel of compromise, of least resistance, of comfort? Maybe the gospel of rebellion? Like the infiltration of the world in the Galatian church, think about your life, the choices you've made, and how you've arrived to where you're at today in your spiritual walk with God. Trace the steps. Somewhere along the road did disobedience creep in. Was there a point it became too uncomfortable to obey? See, God's way was just too confining. It required too much sacrifice. Was it easier to just take the path of least resistance? What got in the way of your walk? Did the pursuits of the world Steal your heart away. Did your focus shift off of Christ and onto the fool's gold that this world dangles in front of us? Was it ungodly influences like the Galatians that threw your heart away from God's truth, His way and His people? Ask yourself, what was it? Trace the steps. Where did I begin to go wrong? See, the cause of spiritual sickness is never Sudden. It's never immediate. It begins with one small thing, one misstep. A sick spiritual state doesn't happen instantly. One small sin, a compromise here, an impure thought there, a poor choice in priorities here, and a decision to not take God's will there. Pretty soon that small step leads to another. And then another And pretty soon, before we know it, we've fallen so far out of God's will that we don't even know where to begin to come back. Stop and go back and remember today. Ask yourself, where did it begin to go wrong in my life? Isolate the sin. Determine the root cause. And once you do, the good news is that there's a remedy The good news is that there's a cure. And just like you can't manufacture physical healing, you can't manufacture spiritual healing. You can't do it on your own. We try, don't we? We try to surface patch our deep spiritual problems. We try to manufacture the emotions, recapture the joy. Friend, outside of getting right with God, there's nothing we in our own nature can do to solve our spiritual state. But the good news is, that's not what God asks us to do. That's not what we have to do. See, if we ask Him for forgiveness, He is the great physician. He's the friend of a wounded heart, a friend to the fallen, the broken, the struggling. God is still in the business of forgiveness. If we come to Him with genuineness, if we lift up Whatever it is that took us to wherever we're at, He will forgive. He will clean the slate of our spiritual lives. But spiritual healing isn't just about forgiveness. It's about restoration. And restoration can't begin 
until we make a change, until we turn away from our sin. See, it's, it's not enough to just mourn what we've done. It's not enough to be able to just identify that and say, that's where I went wrong. It's not even enough to simply ask God for forgiveness. We have to make a change. We have to turn from whatever it is. That's when God can begin to renew us, restore us. That's when He can begin to realign our focus, to readjust our priorities, to bring us back where we belong. I was sharing with a career group a couple of weeks ago a devotion from John chapter 13. And the devotion centered around when Jesus washed His disciples' feet. He was teaching them the concept of serving others. And in verse 17 of John 13, you don't have to turn to it. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The devotion centered around one word. You can guess what it is. If. Blessed are you if you do this. See, it's not enough to know. Knowledge must be translated into action. And the same is true for spiritual healing. It's not enough to know what went wrong. It's not enough to know what we have to redo, what we have to do to be spiritually restored. You've got to do it. The knowledge has to transfer into a willful action and a decision to change. See, God wants to heal us wherever we're at. He wants to forgive and restore. And He gives us such clear direction in His Word to help us identify what's wrong where we went wrong. He gives us those shepherds and counselors and mentors in our lives. He gives us His Word, His light. He even gives us His Holy Spirit to help us change, to give us the strength. The entire solution to our spiritual state lies at our feet. We have to do one thing only. You've got to want it. You've got to take that healing balm. We have to want to be healed. It's so sad that that's even an issue. Think about our, our physical lives. When we're sick, it's never an issue of wanting to get better. Wanting to heal is, is never in doubt or in question. But, but in our spiritual state, in our spiritual lives, when we think about that, well, there's a decision that has to be made there. And the decision is often a difficult one. Why? Because it costs something. It costs something in our lives. See, that decision for spiritual healing and restoration and change, oh, it may require us to, to give up something that we've grown comfortable with. To give up that sin that we're comfortable with now. To give up that lifestyle that we've grown accustomed to and we accept. To give up that compromise that is now a daily part of our lives. And the saddest life is one that weighs the decision and then chooses to stay where they're at. Chooses to continue living in the spiritual basement. Friends, don't think for a minute. Don't be fooled into thinking that there's no consequence to a life that won't turn back to God. Don't be fooled into thinking that a life of compromise a life that refuses to let go of that candy-coated sin has no coming consequences. If that's the choice you've made, as our dear brother Karl Knott says, 
in your pursuits in life, either you will fail miserably or you will succeed more miserably. See, the end result is one and the same. There can be no lasting joy outside of a life lived in the center of God's will. So if you're sitting there today and you say, that's where I am. Ask yourself, do you remember that joy? Do you remember the joy of your salvation? The joy of knowing that your sins are forgiven. That your debt is canceled. That your chains have been broken. If you're there today and you say, no, I I never really had that joy. I don't know that joy. I never experienced that. If you're sitting there and you're still carrying your own burdens, I urge you to turn your life over to Jesus Christ. He will heal your broken heart. He will forgive your sins. He will give you eternal life. And you will begin to experience a joy unlike any you've known before. And dear believer, if you're sitting there today and you remember, you remember your conversion and the joy, the excitement you had. You remember where your walk started and the potential in Christ that you had. But sadly, today you find yourself in a desert land. If you can identify with the spiritual sickness, the symptoms that we talked about, I offer you this hope. There is spiritual healing and restoration for you today. Reclaim that joy that you once knew. You can rekindle that fire that sparked your soul. If you see those symptoms in your life, search your heart. Search your steps. Identify what went wrong. What caused this? Let God's light, His truth, show you where you strayed and come running back into His open arms. Don't search for that joy anywhere else. Don't try to fix it yourself. You can't. You won't find the joy elsewhere. Stop trying. It's not there. Jesus Christ is the only source for spiritual healing and restoration. He can make you whole again. And if you're there, that's the good news. He can make you whole again. Place your life back into His hands. Lift up your heart and like the song we heard in the beginning, cry out to Him. Heal me. Heal me, Lord, wherever you are today, however far you've run for Him, know one thing, you can't run too far. He's waiting to take you back. Like the prodigal son's father, he's waiting with open arms. Run back to me. This is where you belong. Come back. And if you do, you'll look back and say, wow, thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving me back my joy. I had forgotten what it felt like. Thank you for rekindling that fire in my heart. I had almost forgotten that feeling. It's never too late and you're never too far from His spiritual healing. Let's close in prayer. Our precious Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are the source for spiritual healing and restoration. We thank You 
for the truth that we can never stray farther than your love can reach. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your mercy, for your reminders to us, for convicting us. Lord, sometimes you you gently whisper to us and other times you bring us a storm. But we're thankful because either way, you want us back. And for that, we're so grateful. You want us back where we belong. Lord, may it be the desire of each one of our hearts today to ensure that we are where you want us to be in our lives, that we're living in the center of your will. And if not, we want to come back, running back into your open arms of healing. We love you, Father. And we thank you for your presence here with us today. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.